First of all, I talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and just share with them, okay, we need things like food, we need things like shelter. And then I um, love Sarah Newcomb's book, Loaded, because she'll talk about what are things that are intrinsic. Right. We really just need. And so I usually will talk about like, what does Maggie need to feel to be Maggie? I need hugs for my boys, French vanilla coffee creamer, chocolate peanut butter, and daily walks outside. Two of those things don't have any financial costs. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. Two of them do. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking. Um, I like it. So then I'm asking, what is it that really feels good to you that you really need on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? And what, when I'm bringing this up, then other things come up where they might say, oh, yeah, I was thinking about, you know, maybe buying this top, but I really don't need the top. I have a closet full of tops. I just wanted it because it felt good in that moment. Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out-of-money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, it's my distinct honor to welcome Maggie Clockengay, and she did spell it out phonetically, so I wouldn't mess it up, so I think I got pretty close. She is an incredible CFP, CPA, and money coach. And while we've recently met, it's just so much joy coming from Maggie that I was like, I got to have her come on the show. It's just such fun. So this is going to be a great interview. Her company is called Make a Money Mind Shift. And she was very quick to point out, don't forget the F because otherwise it's going to be Make a Money Mind Shit. And well, yeah, that's probably where most of us are starting when you're coming to see Maggie. So Maggie, welcome to the show. Let's make a money mind chef, not shit. That's right. Thanks, Ed. It's so good to be here. And I think it's hilarious that you actually spelled it out for everybody. But that's true. Like, that's what happens. That's where our money can go. if We don't start to guide it. Oh, man, our money and our mind. And let me tell you, I visit the money mind shit place more than I care to admit to. But that's why I do this work is because I'm trying to stay out of that space. And uh, right. sometimes it's easier than others. Yeah. <laughs> so welcome to the show. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this work? How did you get to here? Yeah. Um, first of all, thanks so much for having me here. This is this is already so much fun. Um, so I am a CPA first, a certified public accountant first. And I was in that space for about 15 years working with high net worth individuals. And so basically people who had a lot of money. And I thought, okay, that's fine but I'd like to work with people maybe a little bit more than just taxes. So I moved over into the investment advisory space and I really enjoyed that. Did that for a number of years at another investment advisory firm. And the clients were just like salt of the earth, wonderful people. But what I was seeing was that their adult kids were coming in and saying, hey, we've got all these things going on. We've got daycare expenses. We've got, you know, a mortgage. We've got credit card debt. We have all these things and we don't know what to do. And 
I really wanted to be able to help them, but we would typically give them a financial plan and then just say, here you go, you take care of it and go on and, and right. implement it. And yeah, standard financial planning. I, right, right. And so in my, where I live, I ended up um, teaching Financial Peace University, which is a Dave Ramsey product, yeah. love them or hate them. Yeah. I it is what it bought is. It yeah. And with my husband, it is what it is. And I had a couple of people come up to me in the class and say, oh, this is my second time coming or third time coming. And I thought, huh, why is that? You know, thank you for telling me. But I thought, you know, to myself, why is that? Why is it? What was it resonating with them? Yeah. And from there, I just started to research more about like what the money psychology, like why we do the things we do with our money and came into, you know, Dr. Brad Klontz and Ted Klontz and Rick Kaler. And I just thought, oh, and then start doing pro bono financial coaching. From there, I thought I got to go, go out on my own and do this. So, wow. So you, you really started your career in the high yeah. technical side of money. Like CPA is highly mm-hmm. technical money, accounting, tax, law, legal, like. Yes. And then, yeah. yeah. Trust, estates, individual. Yeah. yeah. Like all those things. Mm-hmm. And there's a great place for all that stuff. That this show is not about minimizing it. We're actually all about trying to support people getting into that space and doing well while they're in that space. Exactly. Yeah. But like, you kind of get you get pulled. I don't know my words into doing some Dave Ramsey coaching uh, program, and you start to get this feedback like it's not resonating, like it's. It's landing, but it's not as effective as it seems like it. So what's going on here? And then you stumble into money psychology and, and Brad Klontz, Ted Klontz, Rick Kaler, Kaler are names that come up quite often mm-hmm. on this show. Uh, mm-hmm. And so how has your view of people and money changed or evolved as you've gone through these different phases? Yes, uh, such a great question. So we're all human. Yeah. We all have different perspectives. And... When I have worked as a, as I worked with people who I love to say they need to walk before they run with their money. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I feel like those people aren't given enough compassion and empathy to say, I hear you. I see you. It's okay to be in this space. I will help you get out of it. Um, I feel like in the financial advisory space, there's just a lot of, if you are at a certain level of assets, of investments that you have, I will now talk to you. Oh, yeah. And what about all these other people who they still need financial guidance? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's a big part of it. And it's that the there's so many layers to, I think, what stops that from happening. And I don't know that we, we need to fully unpack that for folks as they're listening, but I think if you're listening, you're wondering like, why hasn't financial planning helped me? Why hasn't C- like going to see my CPA helped me get more comfortable with money, right? If you're yeah. one of the, the fortunate ones that you go to a CPA, you go to a financial planner, you have a financial plan, you have a good tax plan, and you still don't feel comfortable with money, like that's a really interesting phenomenon, isn't it? And then mm-hmm. and then there's folks mm-hmm. that are like afraid to go to a CPA, afraid to go to a financial planner, maybe have had some very honestly bad experiences. And so they're like uh, gun shy, understandably, right? I mean, look, I've had it happen in my own practice. Ask about past experiences with other financial professionals. I learned this really first from my wife, right? She's a dentist and like 
she asks about yeah. what past dental experiences have you had? And inevitably the stories come up about the dentist that didn't pay attention to the pain. And they just said, basically buckle up and here we go. Yeah. And I think the financial services industry is still practicing yeah. this old school, like buckle up, no Novocaine for you, buddy. Yeah. We're doing the financial root canal, whether you like it or not. Right. And it's like, what I hear you saying, Maggie, is, yeah. whoa, 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 no, let's put some Novocaine on that bad boy and then we'll do a financial root canal. Like nobody loves a financial root canal, but you know, we got to do it. Yeah. Or, you know, or even, and, and to even go into that example and to say, let me welcome you into the office of the dental space, right? Let me welcome you here. Right. How are you feeling right now? Yeah. You know, are you are you nervous? That's okay. We have so many people who come here who are nervous too. Here's, you know, here's a drink, you know, a glass of water if you would like it. Here's some reading material. We have some soft music playing. You know, like there's so many things that I feel like could help, you know, our the people who are speaking out our health, who are already nervous about doing it, their shoulders are all hunched up. They're like, ah, you know, I joke yeah. with with prospects when they meet with me at first. Like, first of all, I give them kudos. They say, thank you for coming yeah. to the call because I know you you needed to book the call. Right. And then you needed to show up. Right. Those are two separate activities. So <laughs> thank you for showing up. But then I typically, yeah. you know, I'm breaking the ice saying, it's not like you probably woke up this morning. And you're stretching, going, I cannot wait to meet with someone financial. Right. I can't wait to you meet know? this Maggie person. Like, it's going to be such a great time. I can't wait. This is going to be so exciting. It's going to be like I BFFs know. from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. No. Exactly. Just, no, they're like dreading it. And then, and but it, it, it helps them recognize, yeah, that's kind of how I was feeling. <laughs> I mean, I have had a couple of people say, oh, no, I was I was pumped. I was ready. Like, like, and then I think, congratulations. Yeah. Hey, that's great. Even like, better, right? Before. Like, I'm happy you're there. I'm, Even yeah, better. right, right. Yeah. But it's totally okay to not be okay. Right, exactly. It's totally okay. And I, and I think that that's where there's almost like this huge pothole in financial planning where if people are coming to me with a financial planner or even a financial coach just to say, I would like, I would like some help. I'm trying to get some more information. Thank you. And, you know, acknowledging them, acknowledging the experience for them. Thank you for coming. Right. You know, how is this going so far for you? Yeah. It's really that human side of it, isn't it? Like that, mm -hmm. that wasn't probably part of the mindset when you're working in the CPA firm. Or maybe you brought that to the table, to the CPA firm. No. no. It wasn't as, I will say it wasn't as much. I do remember, I do remember one specific client, right? had to tell him that he, I think he owed about $40,000 with his taxes due. Yeah. And he owned a business. He still was surprised. It wasn't what he was thinking. And thankfully, and his response was, well, it means that my business is doing well. And I was so grateful because so often it's like, it's the CPA's fault for the taxes being higher or whatnot. <laughs> but, you know, that's about as you know, as close to you got as, you know, compassion. Like you're just like, I hope I don't get yelled at. You know, you're you're just like oh, kind of thing. <laughs> right. You're but yeah, you certainly don't offer that typically in a CP. Hmm. Well, let me be honest. Sometimes it's fun to beat up on CPAs and CFPs, but that's not really I don't want to be that guy. Like uh, you know, there's enough people that are beating up on folks. And you know, look, I, I was one of them too. So 
this is coming from like a long journey of exploring what does it really mean to show up and understand the humanity of people in the process of their financial life, right? And that's kind of that's why I was so excited to have you on the show is you know, we're we're gonna be working together uh, by the time this is aired, we'll probably already have done it, but on a program for um, clients' money script inventory and what that means for financial planners. So can you share with the listeners your understanding of what the clients' money script inventory is? And then you have an exercise that you're going to be talking about. So I wanted to bring that up while we're on this. Yes, yes. And I will say, I will bring it back real quick and say, I love CPAs since I am one. I even talked to one yesterday and I said, I feel you because it's tax season. Oh, I always say, bring them cookies, but <laughs> yes. I totally get it. So, oh, I can't. Yeah. Um, the Klontz Money Script Inventory Assessment, it is a fantastic assessment that Dr. Brian Klontz created and um, it helps to identify money scripts. So money scripts are essentially beliefs that we have that we learned typically in our childhood about money and we learn them from our loved ones. So parents, grandparents, caregivers, and what they were telling us were their thoughts about money, their beliefs about money. And just like a script in a player in a movie, that specific characters practicing, they were the actors rehearsing the script again and again and again. And so you hear that script played again and again and again, creating neural pathway in our brains. So then as the adults now, so that was us as the child hearing these money scripts. And then as the adult, we may have subconsciously brought these money scripts into our adult lives. And now we're behaving as if they are our own money scripts. And so the Klontz Money Script Inventory Assessment helps to just identify what may be showing up subconsciously or consciously in our adult lives are these money thoughts that may not have come from us initially, may have come from those loved ones. And then what can we do to start to change those money scripts so that they're serving our present and future selves? So let's make it tangible. What's a common money script that you run into? Oh, yes. A common money script is things would be better if I had more money. Wait, they won't? Tell me more, Maggie. <laughs> Up to a certain point, according to most studies, as you know. <laughs> the research certain, is pretty you know, good, income. right? So, but this, I'm being playful. This is, this is a very pervasive yes. and common one. If I had more money, everything would be okay. Right? Is that yes. right? I mean, yes. that's right. So how does, so let's you just play with that one. If I had more money, everything yeah. would be okay. How does that yeah. show up in actual financial decision-making? One example, I know it show, it can show up in a lot of different ways, but what's a way that you see that money script showing up in financial decision-making? Yes. So um, I'll give a specific example. I have a client who she was just saying to her partner that, I just, I want you to make more money. You need to make more money because I want to go buy lots of things. And right now we don't have the cash to do that. And I would like, just like to buy things. I want to buy things. She buys, she's bought a lot of home decor and she's like, I just want to be able to buy things. It would make me feel good. So I'm feeling the pressure in the intimate relationship build just as you talk about this. So she is putting pressure on her earning partner to make more money so that she can continue to mm -hmm. shop. Mm -hmm. And then what happens with, for mm -hmm. the partner That's as right. this money script is playing out? So because they're having the dialogue, which I actually was very happy that they were communicating because often they don't communicate, but 
he had told her, yes, I know I'm working towards that. And, and he's taking additional classes. And so he is working towards getting some more earning, you know, income and some more potential. So, but when she was talking to me about it, she said, I just want it right now, right now, right now, right now. And we were talking it through and saying, you know, and I said, I understand you. I hear you. It is difficult. Where you are right now is difficult. But then we went into why things, buying things makes her feel good. What is it about those things? Right. Yeah. That makes her feel good. Okay. So walk us into that. And, and obviously you're, I know so, you're projecting client privacy. So, but we'll, let's, yeah. as much as you can yeah. share. Yeah. And, and so because she had been in a situation before, they'd been in a situation before where they had money and she just, she bought because she could. Sure. And then the money went away. And so now she wants to go back to that place where there is a large amount of money that could be basically spent but she realizes at the same time and i applauded her on this that she doesn't want to make those same mistakes again in where the money just went away on things that were more things and they weren't necessarily helping they were only helping the present moment i think for when she was buying them and I don't know for this client specifically if you've been able to get into the, the what set that money script in in play for her, right? Because that that's the right you refer to like these money scripts develop out of childhood experiences that set the script in play. Mm-hmm. So yes, and so we haven't gone into it with her yet, but we are going to next session, which is exciting. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, Please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. With others, when I've talked to them about it, what we talk about is what are the things, first of all, I talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and just share with them, okay, we need things like food, we need things like shelter. And then... I um, love Sarah Newcomb's book, Loaded, because she'll talk about what are things that are intrinsic. Right. We really just need. And so I usually will talk about like, what does Maggie need to feel to be Maggie? I need hugs for my boys, French vanilla coffee creamer, chocolate peanut butter, and daily walks outside. Two of those things don't have any financial costs. (laughs) Right, right, right. Two of them do. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking. Um, I like it. Okay, so... So then I'm asking, what is it that really feels good to you that you really need on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? And what, when I'm bringing this up, then other things come up where they might say, oh, yeah, I was thinking about, you know, maybe buying this top, but I really don't need the top. I have a closet full of tops. I just wanted it because it felt good in that moment. And so then we talk more about, yes, money can buy those things. 
But is that ultimately what you want, how you want your money spent? And so it, it goes through where, you know, we'll I'll share with them, you know, because money is a tool. It is not the end. It is a means to an end. And so how can we get your money to work with what you truly value? So going from things would get better if I had more money to, you know, going and thinking really money is will provide me. Money can provide me things that I love. And it also and I also don't have to rely on money. To get things, you know, to have things that I love or experiences that I love. So I think what I hear, Maggie, in that is kind of a movement towards a more of a both and. So it's not a denial like, oh, I can't use money to get to get my needs mm-hmm. met. But it's also the mm-hmm. like one side, which is one extreme, and the other side is money's the only way I can get this need met. And it sounds like what you start to tease out is like, yes, you can use money to get this need met. Let's just call it for feeling loved. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of people Mm -hmm. struggle with feeling loved and they'll go shopping to soothe that. Or if they had more money from their partner to go shopping, then they would feel loved. Right. Like that's kind of the the mental rubric. But, you know, you talk about, well, I imagine, you know, you feel loved when you hug your voice like and it costs you nothing. Absolutely. Right. And so helping people recognize like how can I meet these needs by non-monetary activities? You talk about, I like to go out for a walk, right? And that meets certain human needs as well. That, I mean, you could, can get the need met also maybe hopping on Amazon and maybe it's, I don't know if it's creativity or expansiveness. And it's like being outside and walking feeds that creativity and expansiveness. Wow. Nature's so incredible. Or I can be on Amazon. Like, well, look at that cool, whatever thing that, you know, lights you up. Um, and so that it's just helping people start to see like there's actually a wide range of ways to meet needs. And I think you, you talked about load it. And so Sarah Newcomb's book, I think she takes Maslow's hierarchy of needs and really does a beautiful job. So people buy the book, strongly encourage it. Yeah. Yeah. But she even goes up to as far as to say there is no thing such thing as wants and needs. They're all yes. needs, which is a yes. reframe. And it's like you got to read the way that she does it because I don't do it justice. But um, another guest that I had recently on the show, Dr. Colby Peters, has this human needs wheel. And it, and it d- displays the wide range of different needs that we have as humans. And so I think they're both psychologists. They're both in that field, right? And I think, you know, so often we hear like, well, that's a want, not a need. So it's not okay. And it's yes. like, well, yeah. Maybe like, and this is where I think Sarah even says, look, psychological aspirational needs are just as valuable as like oxygen, air and food. Nah, I know some people push back and like, yeah, but if you're not eating, like you die, like, but there, there is a, right. a sense of psychological death when you don't have actualizing potential, right? Truly flourishing is being able to, to meet all the human needs. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's, and that's where you know, sometimes I will bring up to my clients, if a natural disaster happens, God forbid, so wherever they're living in the United States, like if I'm dealing with some, you know, working with somebody on the West Coast, I'm like, if an earthquake happened, what's your first thought regarding your loved ones? And typically it's that they want to make sure they're safe and healthy. And I said, that's really what we're ultimately looking for. We want to make sure 
that our connections with our loved ones, that they're safe and healthy and hopefully, you know, happy. Good chunk of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not all the time, right? And that doesn't require money necessarily. You know, and when you strip it down to those basics, everything else, you can think about it as, you know, gravy, so to speak, right? So like when you were, you know, like, and I, I do love, and I can't, I can't um, justify like how she puts the wants versus needs either. But I love the fact that, you know, she just puts it to say that, you know, these aspirational, oh, that's what, that's, we still need them. And so that's when I will talk to my clients and say, this is what ma- makes Maggie Maggie. Yeah. This is what I need, you know? And, and to get that, I do need some money to spend on some of those things. And I will make sure that I have the money to spend on those things. And that means that maybe I need to forego spending money on other things so I can get those things that make Maggie Maggie. Right. Which this starts to draw us deeper into that funnel of, I think part of maturing with money is being able to tolerate sometimes having to make trade-off decisions because most of us have some degree of economic constraint, right? Whether you're making $50,000 a year, 100,000, 200, 400, and you've worked with high net worth folks, so people have a million dollars, two million dollars a year of income, and yet they still have upper limits for what they can do. And they still bump up against mm-hmm. them, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yes, they do. And so they still have to make trade-off decisions about what's going to bring them pleasure, joy, excitement, satisfaction, safety, security in their life. My brain was wandering a little bit while you're talking. I was listening, but I was thinking, I really, I don't get to talk with CPAs on the show quite as often. And I don't know how much CPA type work you do these days. So let me ask you that. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Um, I don't because I tell people it's a soul suck. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All right. Okay. But so, but here's, here's the best thing. If, if anything, I'm probably, I'm, I'm, one of CPA's biggest cheerleaders because I understand tax season. I have been there and it's such a difficult mentally, physically job. I like, I, like I said earlier, I was just talking to a CPA yesterday and, and I understand like this is daylight that you and I are recording in right now and CPAs don't see this right now. And, and I feel for them because you hear, you know, it's like you see people, you know, outside playing and you're just like sneering, not right. Like, you know, so I do love tax returns. I'm still a nerd about it because a tax return tells a story about a person, just like a financial plan can tell a story about a person. You get the documents, you find out they had a baby, you find out you maybe somebody, hey, went, went to the casino and got some gambling winnings and got W to form W2G. I mean, you you find out they moved. I mean, there was, I was helping out taxes during COVID and you saw so many moves. There were so many moves happening. Yeah. Sale of a residence, buy of a, and it, you know, so it is, that's why I, will review i will look at tax returns and i love the story they tell but the preparation is not not something that excites me really anymore okay all right i'm i'm with you on that and i think you know this is like ed's ideal world and the reality of the, how the world works right and in ed's ideal world we would we would find pleasure in all financial activities and look you know yeah that's probably just not gonna happen like i mean uh, 
I have a pretty rich fantasy life, especially when it comes to finances and, you know, but, uh, so let me, let me ask you this. Ed. Yeah. So in the financial, because you have the financial therapy and now you have the financial planning Yeah. because you've done both, yeah. but now you have them together. So is there something that brings you more joy in financial planning per se? Out of like all the different, like, you know, when we think about like the wheel, the yeah. holistic, yeah. you know, services. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I love about being back in the financial planning field is the objective data and numbers. Like, not this, look, listeners, I love you guys. You're going to hear it real for me. None of this mushy, gushy BS emotions. Like, that's the firefighter in me that is like, I don't really like, I care. I do care. And I do think emotions and I have grown a lot and understand that. But it's like, I think sometimes in the therapy world, we can get so focused on the subjective felt sense of what things are like that we miss contact with objective mm-hmm. reality and what's going on there. And I think that's mm-hmm. the real sweet spot when we're navigating our financial life is to be very aware of our own subjective experience of money, but also be looking for explicit objective data. Right. So I can sit around thinking like, oh, I feel good about my money life and I'm so empowered and everyone thinks I'm so smart. Uh, by the way, I haven't checked my bank account in like two weeks. Oh, right. shit. I right. log in and like the credit card bill is a lot higher right. than I projected on my spreadsheet. Yeah. Oh, ah. <laughs> so, right, right. You know, we can yeah. get yeah. really hung up and like creating a great subjective experience with money but if it's not reality tested against Mm -hmm. what's happening objectively and that's what i love about financial planning is like there is an objective financial reality yes and i think it working with clients and helping them to develop their financial plans it evokes inherently the story of their life and what's going on and because i create space for people to talk about it you start to hear about stories with mom and dad and you know, yeah. um, divorce is such a huge part. Divorce and money is such a huge psychological thing that I barely have scratched the surface on really understanding. But it just the psychology of divorce and money and, and the long ripple effect of that is so profound. Um, getting caught in between that for as kids and then as an adult, if you go through that. So, yeah, I think it's a really beautiful place. Um to try to weave together this kind of psychological relationship with the technical aspects of it and, and bring them together. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in my coaching and when I work with my clients, I share different pieces of financial psychology first, and we don't even talk about the numbers. We don't even talk about the objective data until several sessions in. And because, you know, I want them to think about what's important to them first before they start to just go to the numbers, because typically we just go to, you know, put the bandaid on, you know, and just like you said, you can pair the two now together, right. With the therapy and the planning and have that, you know, the driven side of having the therapy driven side to the financial planning that I think is so awesome because you're coming from it from such a different viewpoint than many other financial planners, which can, you know, obviously set you apart. Yeah. So I think that's awesome. Well, and I think, you know, and I probably have an over-concentration of couples or individuals in my practice that have above average levels of relational anxiety, meaning 
they're either in an intimate relationship and they're uncertain about whether it's going to move forward or not, or they're single and they have anxiety mm-hmm. about re-entering or, and so that's a major mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. the paralysis in making financial decisions is anticipation of how is this other person going to receive me? Will this person be here with me next, next week, next month, six months, a year, two years. And so, yeah. right. This is where that secure attachment piece and attachment really sh- starts showing up so much more because you know, look, there are enough couples out there that are secure functioning, have a long-term sense that we'll be still be together and we can make a financial plan for our future. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of folks that have degrees of relational ambiguity and anxiety that financial planners never ask about. Yeah. And yet that's a huge factor. And they don't don't know how. They don't know how. And it's, you know, so this, again, right, this is not beating up on financial planners or CPAs because they're not trained in that. Right. But you know, when they're scratching their head about why is my client not doing this or why are they wanting to do it this way? Most of the times my hunch is it's because of relationship anxiety, right? Mm. Either really, and I put relationship anxiety, the other side of it is relational avoidance, which is another form of relational anxiety. So I'm either going to avoid this or I'm going to be consumed in it. It's both anxiety. It's just a different expression. So, um, Golly, the time has flown by so fast and I hate to have to wrap up this conversation because we're just scratching the surface. Um, but, you know, as as you think about working with your clients and and the people that are listening, what's something that you'd like to offer as we wrap up as far as encouragement, hope, maybe uh, money exercise, whatever you like? Yeah, um, thank you. I think, you know, just to give yourself grace and knowing that every you know step you're taking forward it maybe you're taking a couple steps back but you're still on the path of moving forward and so just giving yourself that grace and knowing that you've got you know the eye on the prize in front of you and then you don't you know you can learn from the past but you're just continuing to move forward yeah i love that yeah the grace piece that's a big one right because we can be so hard on ourselves yeah. about our finances right. um and it, it that's an active mm-hmm. practice to develop that isn't it it is it absolutely <laughs> is yeah well maggie if people wanted to connect with you what's the best way for them to find you Yes. Well, thank you again so much for having me on the, here. This was so much fun today. They can find me at on my website at makeamoneymindshift.com and click on the connect with me or they can. I'm usually if I hang out anywhere in social media, it's on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Awesome. I know I see you on there often commenting and it's it's a blast. I can't wait to continue to get to know each other, have more of these robust conversations as time unfolds. Me too. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed.